Good morning, friends. It is um, truly an honor and a joy to be worshiping with you this morning. Like Torrin said, my name is Aiden. Um, I am just so thankful that I get to preach out of the book of Colossians. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. Uh, it just gives a beautiful vision of life in Christ. Now, if you're wondering, am I allowed to have a favorite book of the Bible? Yes, you are. Absolutely. If you disagree with me, that's totally fine. We can talk. Just email me at torrin at localgr.com. We'll have a great conversation around it. Um, in all seriousness, no, I, no, I do love TLC. This is a wonderful church. I work at St. Matthew, like Torrin said, right down the street. Um, as soon as you pull out of the parking lot, your tires hit the pavement of Cascade Road, you can see St. Matthew. So we are neighbors right on the same street, serving the same city. Um, and TLC really is just a beautiful church, uh, wonderful people. You love and serve our city well. And so if you hear nothing else from me this morning, I just want you to hear thank you. Thank you for faithfully following Jesus. Thank you for just being a beacon of light and hope in our city. We really do um, just love to see the way that God is working through this church. So thankful. Over the past three years, like Torrance said, I've also been working with Young Life, so I've worked upstairs. I was in a local group, so I do know this church very well, and I know that you love Jesus. I know you're committed to the mission of the gospel, so thank you again. Uh, we are going to be in Colossians chapter 2, so if you have a Bible with you, you can flip, tap, swipe, whatever you have to do to get to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be living in verses 6 through 15. I'm going to invite Danielle up to read our sermon text for this morning. Um, and as she does that, it is the tradition that I come from that when the word of God is read, that we actually um, stand and rise for. <laughs> Don't mind the person on stage. Uh, we, we rise in, but this feels very weird. Um, <laughs> it's like he just pulled a snake out of my shirt. Uh, it is a tradition I come from that when the word of God is read, we rise in both body and spirit. So if you are willing and able to stand, would you please rise with me for the reading of scripture? So then, just as you, just as you has received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to give your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you are taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought, brought to fullness. And he is the head over every power and authority. In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Awesome. Thank you, Danielle. Would you please uh, pray with me, and then we will head into the text. Lord God, we are just so thankful for this morning. We're thankful for the beautiful sunshine. We're thankful for the smiling faces around us, and we're thankful for your presence with us. Lord, open our hearts and our minds and our ears to whatever you may say to us. 
We just thank you for the opportunity to worship you this morning. Pray this in your name. Amen. These are a couple graphs from the Pew Research Center, and they display just a synopsis of what religion and spirituality look like in Western civilization and primarily in the United States nowadays. Now you can see um, from these graphs that the number of people who identify as both religious and spiritual is taking a sharp decline. And, and all the people who would, or would identify as neither religious nor spiritual or neither one or the other is steadily increasing. The one on the right, you can tell, if we, can, if we continue at this pace, at this rate of decline of people who identify as religious and spiritual, that by 2070, so not too far in the future, the number, uh, the percentage of Christians and the percentage of non-affiliate and non-religious people are, are going to be about neck and neck, about even. Now, I don't bring any of this up to scare or to, uh, you know, look down on or to, uh, you know, do anything other than identify where we are, the reality of where, especially in the United States, we are with religion and spirituality. Now, when I was a student at Michigan State University, go green. Thank you very much. Oh, to keep your groans to yourself. I didn't say anything about the other school. Uh, when I was a student at Michigan State, you know, Big Ten University, a lot of students, 50,000 kids coming from different backgrounds and different parts of the country and even different parts of the world. When you're a student at Michigan State, you run into a lot of people who think differently than you. Now, when I was a student, I did not always do the, the Spartan stuff, as you might think. Um, I was a Young Life leader, so I was uh, very involved in my church. I was leading a youth group. And so I would have friends and I would have classmates on Monday mornings ask me, oh, like, what'd you do this weekend? Thinking I was going to say the same thing you did. Um, and instead, I'd be like, well, on Friday night, I went to a high school football game. And then I went to Wendy's with a bunch of 17-year-olds. And then on Saturday, like my friends and I, who are old enough, we, like, we went out for a little bit. But then we were home early because we have to be up at 8 a.m. for church. And the responses I would get from some of my classmates um, were across the spectrum. Uh, and a lot of the, these are real responses I would get from people, um, and they would say, oh, like, that's so cool that you do that. Like, I'm, a, I was raised a Christian, but I'd say, you know, I'm, I'm more spiritual now. Like, I, I identify as a Christian. I believe in God, but I think I'm also a little bit of a Buddhist as well. Or uh, people would say, like, oh, I'm a Christian, but I know we all believe the same thing anyway. Like, we all believe in the same God. We just, you know, call him something differently. Or people would say, oh, I pray but not to God. I pray like to the universe or to my destiny or to fate. And not to make light of any of those people. These are, these are friends of mine that I, I love dearly and I hold in really high regard. But there was a little bit of a disconnect between what I believe and what they believe about who Jesus is and what that means for our lives. Now, Austin did a great job teaching a few weeks ago about how Jesus is meant to be our firm foundation. That as the foundation of our lives, we don't want Jesus to be the roof. We don't want him to be the guest room or the kitchen or the crawl space, but Jesus is the foundation of our lives built um, in him, that he is the foundation. And the thing about a foundation when you build a home is that the foundation determines so much about the house. It determines the shape of the house and the number of rooms and, and the capacity and how many stories. The foundation is integral to what the house looks like, and our lives are the same way. The way that we love Jesus determines what the rest of our lives look like. And Paul doubles down on this in Colossians 2, which Danielle just read for us, especially in verses 6 and 7. It says, so then, 
just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. And so not only does Paul double down on that, he also just makes it very clear to us that as Christians, Jesus is our foundation and our only foundation. You cannot have more than one foundation if you want your house to stand. Now, I did, I did some research. I, I Googled this. Um, and a building can have multiple foundations. That is possible. But when a building has multiple foundations, what actually happens is it's more susceptible to damage in the future. Uh, a building with multiple foundations is more likely to have damage to it. Now, if you are a general contractor in this room, and that is not true, wait until after service. Come rebuke me quietly. I will take that honestly, and I will take it. As, as gracefully as I can, uh, but just let the analogy play out at least for the rest of the time. Um, but we have to do this. We have to believe that Jesus is our firm foundation in the face of what Paul would even say is hollow and deceptive philosophy, that there are people who believe that we can have Jesus, but we need Jesus plus something else, or we want Jesus, but we want just a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of what we want as well. But if we truly believe Jesus is our firm foundation, there's nothing else we need on top of him. And this isn't just start in the past hundred years. This isn't due to you know the revolution, the sexual revolution of the 1960s, or the Enlightenment, or social media. Although I'm sure they all have an effect, but this really began all the way back in the beginning. So if you have your Bible with you, keep your finger or a bookmark or a tab or something in Colossians 2, and flip with me all the way back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. We are going to be just moving in a few different, uh, called movements this morning. And what these movements are going to do is bring us from where we were to where we are to where we want to be going. So the first movement is this. Creating from chaos. God is a master craftsman. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. This is the biblical creation narrative, that we believe that God, through all of the chaos and the formless, empty void, as it's called, took everything and made it into creation. Now the, the Hebrew for the formless void, or emptiness, is tohu vabohu. Can you say that? Wonderful. Hebrew scholars filling this room. Love it. So Tohu Vabohu translates to formless void or formless and empty or formless chaos. Now, it's not chaos in the way that you and I would think. We think of chaos. We think of mire on Sunday night. So tonight when everyone's trying to get their groceries for the week. Or we think of, uh, you know, 196 with all the construction right now, especially over, you know, they built that Fulton Street exit and it's just mayhem. Or we think of, you know, maybe your toddler this morning running around the house naked and when you're trying to get ready for church and you're already three minutes late, if that is you, we're so happy that you're here. If you're not on time, it's okay. There is grace. Um, we're just glad you're here. Now, the chaos we're talking about is a raw material. It's something that can be created. It's not just chaotic for no reason, but when you put it into something and give it shape and give it form, that is the chaos we're talking about. It just doesn't have a shape yet. And so God takes this tohu vabohu, he takes this formless and empty void of chaos, and he gives it shape 
and he gives it form, and he gives it meaning. And not only that, but he makes it beautiful. And God makes this creation absolutely beautiful the way that he intended it to be. He's giving it so much purpose in its beauty. Now, you and I, we can make things. We, we are capable of making houses, and we can build a fire. Like, you can take, you know, some sticks and some leaves and build a fire out of it. But you cannot... You cannot, at like the molecular level, create sticks and leaves. I can, I can plant a seed, I can water it day after day, but I am incapable of, at the molecular and elemental level, forming the trunk of a tree. I cannot do that. God forming and creating out of the formless void is just a testament to who God is and what a master craftsman he is. That he can take those materials, the raw material that has no shape, and he can create beauty out of it. Now, one of the things that God makes is us. He makes humanity in his image. So not only are we made by God, but we're made in a way that we can comprehend the beauty that he has created. And we can see it and love it because we know the God who made it. Torin did a great job a few weeks ago teaching out of Colossians 1, where he talks about God being supreme over creation. He's the creator, and therefore he rules over it, and he reigns over it. It is his to rule, and he sustains it still, and he is reconciling every bit and piece of it to himself because he is the one who created it. And part of that is the need for reconciling, and that comes later in the story, continuing now in Genesis 3. So movement number two is choosing the creation. And this is how we got to where we are now. In Genesis 3, human beings eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, it's very important that we know the tree that they eat from. Because when Adam and Eve eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, humanity then defines good and evil in their own eyes. The issue with that is that I have one definition of good and evil. You have one definition of good and evil. And our friends down the street or in our neighborhood or our coworkers, everybody has their own definition. And if we all have our own definition of good and evil, who's right? There's no way to tell. We need that barometer. We need something to measure against what is good and what is evil. And that was always God's role. It was always intended for God to be the one who decided what is good and what is evil. But when we define it in our own eyes, we start to stray from the way God created us to be. Now, when we define good and evil in our own eyes, that not even the God who created everything can get in the way of us making it the way that we want to. We choose good and evil for ourselves based on what we want or what we feel. Paul reminds the church in Colossae, in verse 8 of chapter 2, not to do this. He says, see to it that you are not taken captive through deceptive and hollow philosophy. Paul is saying there, is, there are ideas and there are concepts out there that not only are they you know, plausible, but like they're trying to deceive you, but they're also not crazy. Like they're, they're very plausible arguments, but you need to see, Paul is saying, that there is more to the story that you don't have to define yourself, but God is going to do it for you. Paul is saying that there is nothing in the world that will fulfill or sustain us the way that God can. There is nothing other than Jesus that this world that can offer us anything because it's just a creation gone rogue. When, when, we, when we worship the creation, when we take what we believe is good and what we believe is evil, the creation is just doing its own thing as opposed to us submitting and letting God rule and reign and define it for us. We think we can pick, we think we can choose certain parts of our faith, both from God and from the world. And by doing so, we're deceiving ourselves. We're, we're falling victim to this hollow and deceptive philosophy um, because we already know what the masterpiece is supposed to look like. 
really know what God intended it to be. We know what the artist is trying to do because we know the God who's already made it. But we like to think in our own eyes that we can do it ourselves. There's a great quote from Kendrick Lamar where he says, love's going to get you killed, but pride's going to be the death of you and me. To, to think that we know better than God and that his commands are just good advice, when in reality they're the way to live. They're the best way to live and they're the way it was intended to live as well. In Colossians, we see how Paul is bringing us back to this. That Paul is saying, they did this back in the garden, they did this back when they were rebelling against God, and we don't want to go back to it. We don't need the hollow, deceptive philosophy. We don't need to do it by ourselves. We can just look at Jesus and know what we're supposed to live on, the firm foundation that he is. So when we think we can do things on our own, or when we take some of the things that God has given to us, but we also take some other pieces. So we like what God says about, you know, how to treat others, but we don't love what he says about maybe how to love our enemies or how to pursue social justice or how to define human sexuality the way he intended it to or the way we spend our time, the way we spend our money. We are no longer the creation, but now we are the creators and we're creating God in our image. And friends, that is a such a fragile God to worship. That is not a firm foundation that we can stand on strongly and, and proudly and faithfully. There is a man who lived in the, in the fourth and fifth centuries. His name is St. Augustine. And Augustine, his life, I don't have time to go in depth about it, but he like, needs to have a Hollywood biopic like, made for him. He's, he's got a crazy life where he was raised as a Christian and left the faith, became like a playboy womanizer, and then was a, a brilliant intellectual, came back to the faith, became a priest. He did it all. And Augustine has this concept, it's very famous, of viewing sin as disordered loves, right? So we have all the things in our life that we love, but what sin is, is it takes all those loves and it puts them back into a formless void. It takes all the sins, all the, all the things that we love, usually good things, but, he puts, but it puts them out of order. So a lot of the time, sin is just good things that we love in the wrong ways. Like, I don't, th if anybody in here, if your core sins are murder and, you know, robbing banks, First of all, we're glad you're here. But second of all, like, it's probably not you. Usually the way that we, you know, sin, the way that we fall short, the way that we are fragile and broken, is just we love the right things but in the wrong order. Right? It's the, our loves are out of order. They're disordered. And so what, what Augustine would say is that when we follow Jesus, when we live our lives the way that God intended us to, we rightly order our loves. And we allow God to rightly order our loves in our hearts. And the way that happens is that we start with him. So if we're rightly ordering our loves, the top of that list, the very, very top of that list is God. And the way that we love God then informs the way we love everything else. All the things that we have, all the things that we are, all the things that we have been blessed with, your job, your money, your relationships, your talents, your sexuality, your passions, everything flows from God. And we know how to love those things in the right order because of the way that he loves us. And so we love him in return. We are more than what makes us up. The reason that we love God first is because the other things about us, all the things that we have or do or want, those are all good things, but they're not things to build a foundation on. They're not even worthy of building a foundation next to Jesus. We need those to just be part of the building, but not the whole, not the whole foundation. Because we're more than the things that make us up. C.S. Lewis writes in his book, The Abolition of Man, if man chooses to treat himself as raw material, then raw material he will be. If we choose to let the things about us rule our lives and 
build upon those things rather than let Jesus, then we're, that's what's going to happen. We will build our lives on our achievements, and our success, or on our failures and on our loss and on our relationships rather than the only thing that can really sustain, and that is God. If we so then choose to dilute ourselves and break apart what God has made and what he has formed and created in favor of the raw materials that make us up, then we're just going to disregard the masterpiece that God made us to be. God made us in our image in a certain way because he knows what life is supposed to look like, and we can look to him to see what life is supposed to be. If we aren't willing to do that, though, all we're going to do is end up back in the tohu vabohu, back into the formless void, and chaos is just going to run. But if we go the way of Jesus instead, if we choose to rightly order our loves, and if we choose to allow God to rightly order our loves in our hearts, then we know what life is in its truest and best form. And so that brings us to movement number three, which is understanding order. If you're taking notes and you're like, why don't these words start with C, like the first two? I tried. I really did, but it'll be fine. Understanding order. So one of the things I think Christians can do a better job of is understanding the beauty of the Bible. Understanding the beauty of the scriptures that we, we build our lives on, that we encounter God in. Because this is 66 books written over the span of 1,500 years, and they are put together because there's a scarlet thread that knits every single letter in this book, in this text together, and that thread is Jesus. We see pieces and glimpses of God in human form, Jesus, through the entire bit of scripture. And one of the ways we do that, and we see it in Colossians chapter 2, 11 through 14, is through this really weird thing to talk about, and that's circumcision. So are you ready to talk about circumcision? If you're not, get ready. I'm going to de-weird this for you. So if you're like, this is, I thought we were at church. We are. So Colossians chapter 2, 11 through 14. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us, and condemned us. So if we go back to Genesis, after human beings sin and they have to leave the Garden of Eden, God then goes with them. And what God does is he, generations later, is he finds this man, this man's name is Abraham, and God says to Abraham, I am going to bring renewal to the world through your family. I am making this promise with you. And so the way that Abraham and his family, who would later become known as the Israelites or the Jews, the Jewish people, God's people, they mark themselves with circumcision. So it's a reminder to them of who they are and whose they are, that they belong to God and they belong to his family, and they're reminded of the covenant promise that God made with Abraham and all of his people. And so when Paul is writing this letter to the Colossians millennia later, he, the, the practice of circumcision is still a thing. It's still a reminder of the covenant promise of God. It is still very, very much, uh, you know, a, a practice. But Paul is saying for Christians, those who profess faith in Jesus, Paul is saying there is a circumcision of the entire flesh. You can put off all of your flesh, the entire thing. And how do you do that? But in baptism. 
And it is through baptism that we live out the new covenant promise of God, that we are marked by God, that we are no longer dead in our sins, that we are no longer condemned in our flesh, but we are raised to new life in Jesus Christ. And sin no longer has power over us because sin has been nailed to the cross. Now, we'll have an opportunity next week, I believe. There is baptisms next week. So if you are interested, if you have not been baptized, please talk to somebody after the service. We would love to give you more information about that. But there is that opportunity to then mark yourself, mark your flesh to remind yourself that you are a a member of the family of God, that you are welcomed, and that you hold that covenant promise to you. Donald Miller writes in his book, Searching for God Knows What, Christ's death, again, was not a technicality by which we are covered with grace, but rather a passionate and inconceivable act of kindness and altruism and love stemming from God's desire to be reunited with his creation. It was always God's mission to reconcile us to him, to reunite us to himself. And as soon as sin separated us from him, there was nothing he wasn't going to do to bring us back to him. Friends, that is a foundation worth building your life on. That and that alone, the faith that we have, the trust that we have in God, that there is nothing that can save us but him. And he allows us to live that life free of charge. So practically speaking, I know that TLC is a church that believes strongly in practicing the way of Jesus. And remember, this is a letter that Paul is writing to the Colossian church. It's an entire community of people. He's not writing this to one person, but he's writing it to an entire community of believers so that they may lift themselves and lift each other up together. And so there's a practical element here, three parts, for the community of followers. And here's what we do. Number one is prayer. Prayer is where we encounter the presence of God and where he is rightly ordering our loves and our hearts. When we encounter God in prayer, we, we are seeking his presence and we are saying, God, I just want to be near to you. I want more of you and I want you to work in my heart. I am going to bring Augustine back up because he's, he's the man. And Augustine has this to say in his book, Confessions, where he says, our heart is restless until it rests in you. That's so good. <laughs> Our heart is restless until it rests in you. Do we think of, our, of ourselves that way? That our hearts are restless, chasing after different things and chasing after achievement and chasing after people and chasing after things. Our hearts will never rest, but the only place they can find rest is in the presence of God. He is the only thing that can bring rest into our hearts and into our souls. And it's in his presence that our loves are rightly ordered. Number two is repentance or confession, other one you want to say. And that is where we confess to God and to ourselves our need for him. You know, confession is a a very complicated thing because when I think of confession, I think of all the ways that I messed up or my brokenness or my sin or my shame and everything just kind of floats to the surface and I just want to run from God because I don't feel like I'm worthy to be in his presence. But in reality, there is no weakness in repentance. There is profound strength that we get from God. We find our strength when we take all of our brokenness, all of our, our just our sin, and instead of keeping it really close to our chest, we open our hands and say, God, it's yours. I'm giving it to you because I can't take this by myself. I can't do it apart from you. I need you to bring life in where there is brokenness. Pastor and author John Mark Comer says, we will not get very far in our progress into the kingdom and our journey into spiritual formation until we make self-denial a regular and joyful part of our life with Jesus. It is hard 
to deny ourselves. It is hard to deny our flesh, especially in the face of a culture that is hollow and deceptive that says you can have these other things too on top of Jesus. It is hard for us to deny the things that maybe our flesh wants. It is a difficult thing to do. But when we do do that, we encounter God and we know that he is our supreme and priority in love, that we find our worth and our value and everything, all the truth of who we are in him. And it is not weakness, but it is strength that we find in confession and repentance. And number three is community. We cannot do this alone. I love that TLC has the value of lone wolves die because it's so true. We have not evolved past our need for community. We have not evolved past our need for other people. And I'll be honest, we never will. And that is a good thing. We need each other just as much. We need to be in community with one another. We need to lift each other up. We need to point each other to God. We need to pray over one another. We need to be in life community together to encourage and support and love. Theologian Richard B. Hayes writes, the calling of the church is to be the conscience and the servant within human society, a role that is possible only when the community resists the world's seductive pressures to live on the basis of values other than those directly exemplified by Jesus. If we are to resist being taken captive by hollow and deceptive philosophies, we need to do it as a community. It's so much easier to do it side by side. And not only do we have to do it in a community, but we also get to. And it's probably put no better than from, one last quote, from world-renowned philosopher Winnie T. Pooh, when he says, a day without a friend is like a pot without a single drop of honey. It's so good. (laughs) Two clothes. For those of you who maybe are here and you are not totally sold on this whole Jesus thing, maybe you are confused, maybe you have a lot of questions to ask, and maybe you just want to learn more about him, or maybe you're just at the beginning stages. Can I just say, like, you are such a blessing to us. Thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us on a Sunday morning when you can be anywhere else, like at brunch or in bed still, but you chose to be with us. Like, that means a lot, and we want you to feel like you are belonged here. Like, that that community piece at the end of, of our practice, community, you are involved. Even if you're not a regular attendee, even if this is your first time, we want you to be part of this community. And we want you to bring all of your questions, all of your doubts, all of your confusion, everything can be brought here. And these are people with you that want to answer those questions with you. There is no need to be perfect here. None of us are. I don't care if you're sitting there or if you're standing on the stage right now, there are no perfect people. But we want you to come and follow the perfect God who we know has all the answers. The way of Jesus is radically different than the way of our culture. I get that, I totally understand it, and it is difficult. But if you are sick of division over political parties, or you are sick of the overemphasis on all things sex in our world, or you feel numb by the obsession our country has with wealth and achievement and status, and if you are just tired, there is another way to live. There is the way to live the way God intended it to be, a way of living with him, the God of the universe, the way he intended, where you don't need to have all the answers, you just follow the one who does, where the currency is grace and the defining traits of humanity are not what can you do for us, but rather what has been done for you already in Jesus. Walking with Jesus is not easy, and the ways that we change, the ways that our loves are rightly ordered by God and through the Holy Spirit's working in us, but the choices we do make and the choices we do have are what we love most. But how that love changes the love we have for everything else. That God being the supreme 
love of our lives rightly orders our loves, and it informs how we love everything in the correct way, the way that he intended us to. And the foundation that we've built our lives on is only worthy if it is Jesus. Amen. I'm going to pray for us, and then I know our, our worship team is going to come back up and lead us in a time of worship. So if you would please pray with me. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are just so thankful for this morning. We're thankful for your nearness to us. We are thankful just for the reminder of what a firm foundation is in you and in you alone. Lord God, we are not perfect. We are not um, all the things that we want to be, but we are loved and beloved by you. Um, would you strengthen us this week as we go into our neighborhoods and into our workplaces and into our family and friends and into everywhere that we go? Would we share your love with the people who do not know you? And Lord, would we be strengthened and equipped by the power of our community here at TLC? Thank you for your love and for the ways that you are working in us. I pray this in your name.